I'm here with Mike Tech, uh, filmmaker, horror master extraordinaire. <laughs> yeah, sick uh, bastard. We're um, actually just on the set of a music video that Mike's directing. And uh, I'm going to talk to Mike about The Thing. The Thing. My f most favourite film of all time, bar none, as far as I'm concerned. Um, absolutely love that film. I saw it in the 80s. Obviously, when it came out, was it 84? No, uh, 82. 82, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I went 82. to my local Odeon and uh, I'd heard about this, this film because I've been a big fan of John Carpenter's work up till then anyway. Um, and uh, I saw it and I was gobsmacked. Absolutely blew me away. And I think I went to see it another two or three times because uh, in those days you didn't have videos and... You know, you, you couldn't wait for that thing to come out on TV. It'd be probably about 20 years before they even allowed that on telly. So, um, so yeah, I love the movie. It's I got it on Blu-ray recently with the, you know, you get the, the remake, or sorry, the prequel, which was pretty decent enough, but the Blu-ray copy of The Thing looks stunning. The effects look absolutely incredible. It looks great. I mean, it's yeah. a film that hasn't aged badly at all. N not one bit. Um well, there, there is the stop motion. The stop motion oh, at the end is... Yeah. is it's the, a bit is, Ray Harryhausen yeah, hokey, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Compared to everything else that's in the film, it does yeah. kind of stand out, but you forgive it. Yeah, absolutely. And also the fact that I've seen footage where they used a lot more of that and it, it looked far worse than what they used. Absolutely. I think they, 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 they did a little bit of it with the tentacle and then they cut to the, uh, the actual you know, Rob Bottin monstrosity which had every single person that had been absorbed by the thing, as I recall. So, um, uh, yeah, it just I like the you know the jaws type effect where you see the the floorboards start smashing up and things like that. That's that's so cool. Um, yeah, a effect that I saw uh, in another film years years later, Tremors. Yeah, absolutely, because they were that was a low budget horror monster movie. Um, Kevin Bacon while he was still young and footloose and fancy <laughs> yeah. free sorry for the pun um, <laughs> thing he done footloose by then <laughs> yeah and um, another great you know great monster movies and as you know I love monster movies and I'm sort of indulging in a couple of them myself so uh, as a filmmaker mm. how's um, at, what's the influence of the thing uh, the influence of the thing uh, for me is the fact that you need to have a good story. We all know everyone says you've got to have a good story, but that script and the ensemble cast, that's was really impressive. And, you know, a lot of my films don't have many women in, so the thing had not one female, which is probably why they decided to put one in the prequel, just to be politically correct. But um, There was a woman in uh, The Thing from Another Planet. Oh, right, okay, yeah, the, is that the 50s one? The 50s yeah. one, yeah, the um, Talks one, yeah. That's it. And, um, but that's the thing, I keep saying the thing. Um, that's <laughs> the, thing the thing about that, the thing. Yeah, the thing about the thing is is my love of special effects being practical special effects uh, is one of the outstanding things about the movie and I've taken that away with me. I, mean, I love John Carpenter. As to whether it's influenced me, in filming, um, I've probably looked at the behind the scenes of how they do effects on movies, and and you know something that you need to be aware of if you're shooting them in your own film. So, uh, 
I don't know, I just think it's a complete package. I mean, you look at this, the flying saucer at the beginning. I mean, that's a really good flying saucer. Yeah, you know, that stands up today. Um, and I love the way the story develops. It's it's a bit like a, a who, not instead of who done it, it's who is it. Um, and uh, and the way that they have twists and things. Oh, there's a forklift truck. Uh, the way they have uh, twists in it, like you don't know who to trust. Um, I, I really like that concept. And I think that's the thing. I mean, the actors in it as well. I mean, the actors are phenomenal. Now, the first time you you watched it, mm. did you did you had had you figured out who was the thing and who wasn't? No way, not at all. And I still think the film leaves it open ended, so no one knows. Actually, the thing that <laughs> I noticed the most was that my jaw hit the floor when the dog's head split apart. Yeah, I was like, whoa, fuck me, that is incredible. I hope that dog didn't suffer much afterwards. <laughs> It was that realistic. And then it all kicks off with the tentacles and all the mouths within mouths. And it's like, wow. And then you're off. You know. Well, I thought the, the thing that comes towards uh, Charles was a flower. Yeah. It, yeah, it yeah. looks like a flower. Organic, but it's, yeah. but it's dog's tongues with dog's teeth. Correct. And I didn't realise that. But if you look on the Blu-ray, you can see it now. Um Maybe in the cinema in the old days, you know, we could have a fag and, you know, you could watch softcore porn movies if you didn't want to watch that, you know, queue up and let the old woman on the counter ask your age and then you try and put on a deep voice and <laughs> and then someone shouts out, I didn't know they let the school bus in this week. Um, and then you shrink, shrink down in the chair. I mean, that wasn't a... I'm obviously not speaking from personal experience, <laughs> but... Uh, uh, it was just a tour de force, uh, and the music. I mean, that's something which is, uh, I think, was a. I don't know whether it's a game changer, but the minimalist nature of the music that created such an atmosphere. Uh, obviously, Jaws was was that seventy six or seventy four was Jaws. Uh, seventy six. Yeah, um, that you know signature tune is just a couple of notes repeated and the similar i believe to me it sounds like a space version of the jaws music that sort of dun dun or a heartbeat Certainly. or something i mean it's funny that it was written by Ennio morricone, morricone yeah. because it sounds like everything else that john carpenter had done up to that point absolutely because he that's a, that's something i admire about john carpenter and as a filmmaker myself is because i've written music for my own films and uh, he did that a lot in his early days uh, yeah, he did the classic Halloween score Escape from New York and you know I just wonder though if Ennio Morricone had written another score which they didn't use because mm. it very much sounds in places not like his music yeah it sounds like John Carpenter, Carpenter. goes oh no yeah. I'm not using that shit Morricone I'm going to put my own stuff in yeah well I've just listened to two films well I've watched two films which have Ennio Morricone um, soundtracks on them well, westerns the, were they no they weren't <laughs> no they weren't but that he has a certain sound I yeah mean, you know from he likes using harmonicas he likes yeah. using um, he doesn't use synths basically no no they're, they're mm. all sort of um, sort of, I would say, better word, practical instruments. Yeah, he electronic to it. Yeah, he likes using weird, obscure stuff as well, which is a bit of it's a thing with him. But yeah, to, yeah. to all intents and purposes, pan pipes he uses a lot. Yeah, 
So that's why he's the it only one. It's a, that's why the uh, the Thing soundtrack is like really different mm. in his body of work. I think John Carpenter must have given him a lot of hints on that one. I think, or maybe Morricone was clever, looked at all of his previous work and thought. I'll do something similar because I've been given the gig because obviously Carpenter was too busy because it was a big budget at the time. Wasn't this one of the biggest budget films he had? Up to that it, point. Up to that point. Was that He's, before or after Starman? Because that was a big budget as well, wasn't that it? That was before. Because he did Christine and Starman in between The Thing and Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. Big so, Trouble in Little China actually was the bigger of the two budgets when it comes oh, to those two. all right. Yeah. Um, I mean... It sort of makes me, you know, I mean, I shot my recent film, um, some footage at late night in the woods, and it's been quite, you know, it's April, really sunny, but it made me think, God, imagine being in that freezing cold snow and having to shoot film and get everything organised. What a bloody nightmare that well, would have been. it got worse when they went back to the studio. Mm. It was the height of summer. That's right, yeah. And they yeah. had to, you know get dressed up as if they're in the winter i believe mm. the sets were refrigerated they were because that was a trick that they used to do Exorcist, so they could they did that on didn't they exactly the so they could get breath show, yeah and mm. so you know a lot of the people in that film must have got the flu because they're going from extreme oh, cold yeah. to extreme heat mm. so if you think about it the you've got the effects i know botine worked night and day and night and day on and um you've got the the great characters played by Kurt Russell and one of my other favourite actors, I can't remember him now, the, 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 the African fella. He's in They Live. Oh, um... Uh, <laughs> I can't remember his name. Sorry, I apologise if he's listening. Yeah, what's his name? Because he's brilliant. He is a uh, fucking brilliant actor. It's on the tip of my tongue. Keith David. I remembered. Uh... So, yeah, Keith David is, uh, I love him in the other Carpenter film, which I absolutely adore, which is They Live. Um, oh, let's, let's talk about They Live, because yeah. that was a film that we didn't get to. And, um, yeah. I, I have to say, it was one of the my choices for Movie Heaven, but I went yeah. with Big Trouble in Little China just because... I'm, I'm See, just I, I'm just a bigger fan of I that I wouldn't film. have stuck Big Trouble in Little China in there above They Live, mate. No way. <laughs> that's <laughs> well, the, that's what makes us different. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. And you are different, Simon. Um, so but They Live is awesome. I met is. Roddy Piper uh, last year, or the year before last, actually. I met Roddy Piper at Denver when I had a film screening there. And uh, the wrestler fella. And he's great. And he was high on uh, something when he was having the Q&A there. Really? Him and uh, Meg Foster. I met Meg Foster. She gave me a free autograph. I didn't, I didn't have to pay. Wow. It's one of these weird things they do in America. They, You go to get, sign an autograph and they say, oh, $20, and they'll go they sign do it a here. picture. Do they? They do it here. You go to conventions I know you here. do it. I know you charge people. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I've got to make a living. I know you, you know, I'm not making a living out of making films. Queue up, get a free picture of Jesus. A.K.A. Simon Aitken. <laughs> 20 quid. And you get a free blessing with that. Nice, well. yeah, yeah. You get, you anyway. get sent to heaven for free. <laughs> um, yeah, so they live, oh, what a great story. But I, for me, it's got the best, uh, you know, you can keep your Tony Jars on backs in the raids. Well, I do like raid one and two. But the fight scene um, in the back alley between uh, 
Roddy Piper and Keith David, to me, is just great. And the fact you've got a wrestling person choreographing it, it really comes across as a really brutal, dirty street fight. It does, yeah. And it's humorous as well. Have you yeah. seen the um, homage that South Park did it? No, no. Oh, that was funny. Oh, is it good? Yeah. yeah, but it was with two disabled people doing it. Oh, excellent. Sorry, um, I don't watch South Park no. too much. You probably know the characters better than me. Um, but the other thing that's great about that film is the concept. The Absolutely. idea that, that aliens are here and they're hiding amongst us. And that they're rich <laughs> and can be despised. Um, well, they yeah. were alien yuppies, weren't they? That's right, that's right. Because yeah. back in, it was late 80s, uh, the height of the Reagan era, yeah. and it was, you know, that whole consumerism going on. Mm. I mean, the, I mean, it's, such a, it's just a, a lovely, simple idea, the fact that when you put these sunglasses on, you can, you can see, see the world for what it really correct. is. And the subliminal advertising thing and the, and showing the money and saying, this is your God. God yeah. That is just, it's so The The advert cool. with the girl on the beach and when he puts glasses on, it's, it says, um, it's something like, marry and multiply. Marry and multiply, that's yeah. it, yeah. Watch TV, yeah. yeah. It's awesome. And, um, I mean, the budget on that, I don't think it was, I know the music was done by Carpenter and, was it, Howarth? James Howarth, yeah. James Howarth, yeah. Which well, uh, he did a lot of the music with. Um, he yeah. did it with my favourite Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, did he? Right, nice. <laughs> um, but that's a really cool track. I mean, so Carpenter's films for me mm. are they're low budget films that don't, that, that seem to always exceed their budget in scope. And and uh, to me, that's a sign of, a, of an independent filmmaker. You know, we always have to try and use whatever locations you have in creative ways and find clever ways to to try and do something and i think there's a lot of that especially carpenter's early work i mean recently you know i mean he's getting on a bit but um i mean obviously for me when ghosts of mars first appeared that 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 was a sign of the end but yeah i think you get a lot of this with these independent what, directors. What do you think it is? Well, why do you think his work has really slipped now? And it, it does feel like he, he, he is not trying. He's either run out of ideas or the only way he can get the money to make something is if he makes something shit that someone's got a story for, some producer thinks will be good, they attach his name to it, and, and it's almost like he turns up and does a day job. I don't think he's invested personally like he was in the early days because if you do your own music and you write your own stories and you fute it and all the rest of it yourself, that's that's that you've got you're invested in it, aren't you? So, and you want it to be good. Um, I mean, I think the last decent film I saw from Carpenter probably was In the Mouth of Madness. I really enjoyed that. I I, I did. Um, I saw it when it came out on video, and yeah. I have to say. Um, it didn't really resonate with me that much. Yeah. But I watched it again recently and I loved it. Yeah. So it and was... Prince of Darkness is another one oh, of my favourites. Prince favorites. of Darkness is great. To this day, Prince of Darkness still kind of freaks me out. Especially yeah. the whole stuff with the mirror. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It had some it had Alice Cooper in it, using a bicycle to impale someone. <laughs> that's right. Uh, which I think he used on one of his tours, actually. That's Yes, that's correct, because <coughs> it's, it's a gag of his, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So they, they used that for the film, because it was there, it was available, and it yeah. was something they didn't have to build or put money into. The funny thing there. about that film, Prince of Darkness, is that you look at it, and, it, and everywhere seems like that everyone's hiding 
there's no one out. It's, an, it's always desolate. There's no one around apart from these old folks. And he probably shot it like a lot of films we shoot, you know, on you know where we are now on some crappy old industrial estate. But uh, there's just yeah, there is that sense of doom. Um, which is uh, pervading the whole thing. I mean, the building looks strange. You got all these. Well, it is, it's part of his uh, unofficial trilogy called the Armageddon trilogy. Right. Which okay. started off with the thing, yeah. Prince of Darkness, and then ends with In the Mouth of Madness. Yeah. Well, that's a good trilogy, if you ask me. So I'm put that on a triple bill. I'd watch that. Yeah. Good, solid films. I mean, you know, the, the Fog, another good, solid film. Um, and he. I mean, you know, Halloween was his uh, his real calling card. Although, you know, I was with him before then. I mean, uh, uh, the remake of Rio Brava, which was called Saw Precinct, Precinct 13. 13 yeah. um, that's awesome as well. Um, uh, but they're low budget, but they're awesome. They're awesome low budget films. They're not. Oh, that's a low budget film, so we've got to make excuses for it. Um, well, the nice thing about Assault on Precinct 13 is it's a it's a one location bound film. Yeah. And he just uses that location yeah. to the extreme. Absolutely. And and that's a good way of making, of getting production value out of your money. Um, you know, all the car park scenes, you know, they're just like normal car parks with bushes around them and things like that. Just, just dull down the light a bit. So have a few people probably with some plastic toy guns and some sound effects and away you go. And that's the indie filmmaker all over. Yeah. I mean, my recent Western horror has got, I bought these guns for three quid plastic things with little red caps on them. And I got Tim, the makeup guy, to just, you know, dust them over and make them look antique, if you like. Well, that's good because I've seen too many low budget films where uh, it's clear they went down to the local toy shop to get them because Mm. for a start, they don't. Too small, especially rifles. Yeah. I don't know what they were thinking. Yeah. The rifles are about the size of a pistol. And yeah. Thinking, well, we had a real replica one for the main character, and that was heavy. That was yeah. as a peacemaker replica, I think. Oh, nice. That, uh, but I'm just saying, around. you you wonder what's going through these people's minds when they pick these little toys yeah. up and go, "That'll do." Yeah, oh, yeah. Nobody will know. It's on screen. It'll look big. Mm. Uh, no. No. Well, I made sure that I didn't focus on those. If you're if someone's pointing a gun at you, then all you're seeing is the barrel anyway, so that's fine. But. Uh, Anyway, going back to uh, Carpenter, um, yeah, I, I really like his early, yeah, you know, all of his films. Ghosts of Mars was a, I, I think maybe that was the time when the studio thing did what they always do, which is they crush talent uh, by imposing deadlines and. You know, it, I heard a was it Keith that told me it started off as something else. Yes, that's right. We we spoke about this on the podcast. Mm. Um, the fact that it was originally going to be a Snake Plissken story it was going to be Escape from Mars. Right. And because Escape from LA flops. Well, that was pretty bad. I must say, I was disappointed with that film. Though I loved the ending. I thought the ending was great. I can't remember the ending now. What happens? Um. Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the ending is that um, it's like the original where there's a switcheroo. Oh, so he's got right. the device that can turn <clears throat> off anything. Yeah. And he's going to, um, he's got the, the world code that will plunge the whole world, world back into, into dark. darkness. Yeah. And of course, what turns out is that Pliskin actually has it. 
Mm. And they th you think, oh, well, shoot the bastard. And then it turns out it's actually a hologram and he's somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was just, it was really well done. I, I mean, think that was, just, it just, it just stood out from the rest of the film. They had some hokey effects with him surfing, didn't they? <laughs> yes, they did. That's almost on the, the par CGI with the... in it is terrible. The James Bond. Remember the James Bond Die Another Day where yes. his bloody parachutes off an iceberg or something? That looks so pony. It's ridiculous. With the invisible car? Yeah, I mean... And the satellite with diamonds in it that shoots the Maybe we beam. could chart John Carpenter's career in parallel with the Bond films, you know. They start <laughs> off fairly decent with Goldeneye, and then by the time they get to the end, they've just turned to a big, massive pile of shit. Oh, yeah, if you're talking about the Brosnan area... Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, Bond didn't start off with Goldeneye. Yeah, well... It, and then got, <laughs> I thought Timothy Daunton was all right, but that's that's another conversation. Mm. Um, so... Thing is, the best film, it's the best horror film bar none. All this thing, oh, The Exorcist now, or Shining now, fuck off. The thing is the bollocks, and it's got amazing effects. The, the, the ensemble cast are so impressive, and it's humorous. Um, you know, the fact that the alien actually is going in through their shorts makes me think what the hell was we going don't on know there. That. <laughs> what man's put his dirty drawers in the in the kitchen linen basket, you know, there's a big hole in these pants, you think, what the hell's going on? I know they're all men in one place, but that's that's a bit disturbing. <laughs> you know? Um so that's that's pretty uh that, that could be the most disturbing thing in the film, you know. Uh, that's the way I the just, thing enters you, you know, so to speak. But... <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <clears throat> well, if that's the case, I think they just skirted around that issue. Yeah. But again, it was good. And also the confined alleyways and the bloke on the roller skates skating yeah. through. And they've got this sealed off haunted house really is what it turns into mm. yeah and the, the great little scenes where the bloke comes to the door and you get this shadowy globby shape just run past with yeah. a bit of classic music you know right uh, this is this is a question i forgot to ask keith but i'm gonna ask you yeah so you know there's the character that burns himself alive there's like yes. the second scientist with glasses yeah so one with glasses his yeah. name was uh hold on we'll get back to that in we'll a second get back to oh, I'll find it. You got, you've got uh, Childs. No, this it's not is Childs. The, no, no. And it's not Blair. Blair. I can never remember his name. He he's kind of he's always the one that's going. But Blair knew what what was going on. We yeah, need Blair. Yeah. Well, go on. What was the question about him? Oh uh, well. Because um, so they found he, his glasses, didn't they? they? Well, they found his charred remains. Yeah. They, under the snow. Yeah. Now, who do you think he saw that made him burn himself alive? Because he didn't want to be taken over by the fish. Well, I just think he saw a thing, and if I saw something like that coming towards me in the middle of nowhere, I think I'd burn myself to death as well. Or well, just, try to burn yeah. it. Well, I was just wondering which which one it was. Because I, for me, I... You were trying I, to work out, like like uh, Cluedo, where was everyone when the murder well, happened? Well, not really, because there, there's no way to tell. There's it could nothing. be the guy... Um, well, I personally think it's it's Blair. Yeah, I think I, you're right because he yeah. tunneled his way out of that place, didn't he? That's right. Because um, he had he already was up in the. That um, was a big surprise when I saw the film. The fact that he had the noose and he was playing along that he was going to top himself and all the rest of it, and then you find out the sneaky thing had been digging holes underneath and actually trying to make a, a spaceship to get back home or something. Well, this is the thing about Blair mm. was that 
he wasn't taken over um, immediately. fully immediately. Yeah. It was a slower process with him because if you notice, every time, when he's especially touching the first remains they brought back from yeah. the Norwegian camp, he kept putting his pencil into it and then he would tap it against his mouth. Oh. So he was being, because then you, you know yeah. when you, you see it on the computer screen where you see yeah. the, it being, so he, by tapping the pencil into his he mouth, he didn't realise he was infecting himself. What a very good surgeon or doctor was he? Wearing no, infection, he shoving his pen into the guts of some remains that are dead. Well, he wouldn't be in a good doctor if he was carted all the way out yeah. to the. Well, that's the thing. They were the a motley pole. crew of rejects yeah. and, and misfits, it's, weren't they? That's it. They they all wanted away from the world. Yeah. You know, certainly Macready. He always he had his own shack. Yeah. Yeah. And he loved playing chess <laughs> that cheating bitch. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it's my definitely my movie heaven, that, uh, the thing. And um, if you've never seen it, then, you know, you need to go and see it straight away. Get it oh. on Blu-ray, it's amazing. And the character's name was Fuchs. Fuchs, Fuchs. that's the fella. Fuchs, yeah. yeah. Well, that's a good point to end. Yes, it is. And uh, we've got to go off and actually do some filming now. But, uh, yes, Thanks for talking to us. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Simon. A pleasure, and hopefully we can do something. Yeah, do well, we'll, your, we'll get you. We'll get you on again for another episode. Yeah, yeah, one of those other letters. You know the one I've got in mind. Yes, we'll, we'll keep that quiet for now. Okay. All right. Well, we've got to go back to work. But uh, right. thank you for listening to this podcast, extra, 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 and uh, good. Look out for our next episode coming next week. All right. Take care.